Well, let's get started with a made-up story, but it's a story. 200 years ago, a Texan was out hunting. 200 years ago. Exactly. So he was out hunting on horseback, but he was a little over a day's journey away from his house on horseback. While he was on the outskirts of a settlement, he heard rumors that Native Americans were in the area raiding nearby villages and homesteads. So fearing for his family, he started riding back home as fast as he could. He knew that he was due south of his house. While he was hunting, he had dropped his compass, and it bent the needle just a little bit. So it was now off by one or two degrees. Not realizing that his compass wasn't accurate, he quickly checked it to make sure he was going north and started riding as fast as he could. But a small error at the beginning of a 10-hour journey set him miles off course. By the time he realized his mistake, backtracked, and was able to find his home, his family was gone. The compass that was only off by one or two degrees cost him his family. Small errors at the beginning can lead to big problems. That's why we're taking our time going through Genesis very slowly. Uh, Our goal is to make it through the whole Bible. And if we went through the whole Bible at this rate, we would never make it through. None of you would be in youth group anymore by the time time we made it all the way through. Uh, But we're taking our time at the beginning to make sure that we're headed in the right direction. We're taking this journey because we want to see God's big picture. We want to see what he's doing through the whole Bible. Understanding the whole story helps us to make sense of every part of the Bible and helps us to see what each part and what the Bible as a whole has to do with each one of our lives. The Bible is one story about God's glory by redeeming a people in Christ. The Bible is one story about God's glory by redeeming a people in Christ. As we move through the story, I hope that that becomes clearer and clearer to all of us. So two weeks ago, before Scott taught, uh, we started at the very beginning of the journey, in Genesis 1 and creation. And we talked about four truths in creation. It was two weeks ago, so let's see if we can remember these. We said that creation is historical, Creation shows God's sovereignty. Creation shows us an orderly and good God. And the God who creates is the same as the God who redeems. Now, let's help each other just jog one another's memories of what each one of those means. What do we mean after that lesson when we say that creation is historical? It happened. It It actually happened. It happened. Yeah, just like it did in Genesis 1. Unlike my story at the beginning, which was made up, uh, Genesis 1 is historical. So creation is historical. Creation shows God's sovereignty. Uh, What does that mean? How does creation show us God is sovereign? Scott? I guess since he created all things, it shows that he's still in control of all of Exactly. They're his. They are his. 
he created, he still rules. He is powerful enough to do that. He's powerful enough to create. He is certainly powerful enough to rule. Uh, creation shows us an orderly and good God. What, what does that mean? In what way was creation orderly? George. He did it in like steps over the course of days. Exactly. We don't have a God of chaos who acts randomly, who we never know what's going to happen. We have a God who acts orderly. And we still today have days and seasons. Uh, patterns repeat themselves. We have parents. We have us. We grow up, have kids. There are patterns and order in the world that God's created. Uh, and finally, the God who creates is the same God who redeems. Does anybody remember anything about what we talked about with that? Janae? Uh, God is not like far away. He wasn't just like, here you go, you know, go, go, go off. <clears throat> Yeah, he's so deeply involved in his creation that he enters his creation to redeem sinful people. He, and it shows that he cares about it. He's a personal God. He's not impersonal. Um, well, this week, we're going to focus on one part of creation. We're going to focus on the creation of humanity. And we'll see that you and I are creatures made in the image of God. You and I are creatures Made in the image of God. Woohoo humans! Woohoo humans, yeah. We <laughs> go. Uh, we're going to focus on this truth because exactly what George said, we're humans. So that means we're made in the image of God. So studying this in particular is more relevant to us than studying plants, let's say, or studying God's creation of the sun. We're not plants, we're not the sun. We are humans. We're also going to give it more attention because God gives it more attention. In chapter 1, he spends a little more time uh, revealing how he created humanity. And then it's so important that he zooms out and gives a whole chapter. All of chapter 2 is specifically about his creation of humanity. So he describes the whole process and he backtracks and zooms in just on the creation of humanity. So... Open your Bible to what's probably the second page in your Bible. And we'll start in chapter 1, 26. We're on the sixth day of creation. And we're going to read all of chapter 2. We're going to start in 126 and read all of chapter 2. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, uh, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. 
And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the spring, the, he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is planted in the sight, that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first was Pishon. Uh, it is one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is one, the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. Humans are created in the image of God. On one hand, that means we're only creatures. So just like everything else around us, the air... Uh, the ground, the stars, dog, cats, everything, time, energy. We didn't exist. Then God created us. We are creatures. We will never not be creatures. Only God is not a creature. He's the creator. Remember, this is one story about God's glory, not ours. But on the other hand, we're distinct from the rest of creation. So we are creatures on one hand, but we're different than the rest of God's creatures. One way we're different 
is that we're the last thing that God created. I don't think that means that we're the least important, like the last kid who's picked in dodgeball. Uh, I actually think it that means... How is that a terrible example? Because everybody chooses the, last, the worst kid as the last person. Exactly. That shows that we are not the least important of God's creation. I think instead it shows that we are the pinnacle, the most important part of God's creation. We're more like the star that goes on top of a Christmas tree. You have to wait till the very end, till everything else is in place, to put that on. So we're different because we are created last. We're also different because we're the only thing that Scripture says God carefully considers before he makes us. Everything else, God merely speaks into existence. But before creating man, he pauses and then he plans. Look down at your Bibles at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. The Father, Son, and Spirit are all present in all of creation. But they hold a special planning meeting when it comes to the creation of mankind. So God's infinite and perfect wisdom went into planning all of creation. But he took special care to create mankind. If you're drawing something... uh, you probably take special care to make the main subject, to make sure that that is just right in your drawing. You might kind of quickly go through the background. You don't want the background to be messy or mistakes to be in there. But you'll probably spend extra time on something that's much smaller in the drawing because it's most important. Yes, Jim? And I think the same thing. I think the same thing is going on here, not only in God's actual creation, but in Revelation that takes more time looking at this. It's so important to God and should be especially important to us. We should take great care in looking at this specific part of creation. God shows us how important we are, how much He loves and cares for us, and how careful He is in creating us. We're also the only thing in creation that God speaks to. Speaks to man and woman, blesses us, and says men and women are made in God's image. What do you think it means to be made in God's image? What are some of the first thoughts that come into your head when you hear that mankind is made in God's image? Joan. So man has a purpose. He was made on purpose and he has a purpose. That's great. Um, 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 I just had a contradiction to the last thing you said. You said that we're the only thing that God spoke to. But God spoke to all the animals when he told them to multiply. He tells them to be fruitful and multiply? That's correct. He, He gives them a command. God speaks to us in a special way by blessing us. But you are totally right. Um... Anything else that comes to mind uh, when you hear the image of God? So the fact that we are relational, that we have relationships with other 
people, uh, and we're supposed to have relationships. Yeah. Anything else? Scott? Uh, something funny about our nostril being filled with a breath of life, uh, a spirit that all other creation doesn't have, a spirit that uh, allows for all those things. I mean, it's what, like you just said, makes us more than just survival creatures. Yeah. We are uh, both body and soul and spirit. Um, different people break it up in different ways. Um, whether or not soul and spirit are the same thing, but yes, there's something more going on than just moving matter. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I think three important things we see in this text uh, about what it means to be made in God's image. Uh, one, we are made for fellowship with God, like Janae said. We are made for fellowship with God. Two, we're made to rule over the rest of creation. We're made to rule over the rest of creation. Three, we are made male and female. We're made for fellowship with God. We're made to rule over the rest of creation. We're made <coughs> male and female. First, to be made in God's image means to be made for fellowship with God. God has perfect fellowship within himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always existed in perfect love, in harmonious relationship within the Trinity. To be made in God's image means to be made in relationship for fellowship with God. So as people, we have the capacity to know God, to love God, and to obey God in a way that none of his other creatures do. That means to know, love, and obey God is our great purpose in life, like Jonah said. We have purpose. And that purpose is to know, love, and obey God. To ignore, hate, or disobey God will ruin that fellowship and make us miserable. We call that sin. God made Adam and Eve in fellowship with himself. They were holy and good and righteous. They enjoyed a blessed relationship with God. They were in his presence and enjoyed his perfect love. Because we were created for this kind of fellowship with God, means that everything we do is related to God. There's nothing that God doesn't care about. There's no part of our lives that doesn't have anything to do with God. God didn't create Adam and Eve and place them in the garden and say, for, for one hour a day, you guys can go and do whatever you want. I don't really care. Or whenever you're eating... I'm just not really going to pay attention. That doesn't have anything to do with me. Uh, God cared about every part of their lives. He cares about every part of yours and mine. Every part of our lives, our bodies, our relationships with others, our thoughts, our desires, how we use our time, God cares about all of it. Because no matter what we do, we cannot escape the fact that we're creatures made in his image for fellowship with him. Do you have a question, George? Does he also watch us all sleep? He watches us all the time. He is all-knowing, all-seeing, all... It's not disturbing, it's comforting. Uh, it's comforting to know that God never leaves us to our own devices. He never uh, forsakes, abandons us. 
Um, so we're always under his love and care. I'm comforted, like, you know, like when you're a baby, and babies cry when their mom leave them and they like to be there after they sleep, they feel safety? Yeah, God's always there. Uh, an example of that would be we can't escape the fact that we are our parents' children. Everything we do, uh, we do as our parents' children. Everything we do impacts our family name. Your parents love you. Your parents love all of you. Uh, that's why your parents care about every part of your lives. Your parents uh, don't allow you to just do whatever you want with your left foot. They don't really care what you do. If you want to go barefoot, you want to get a tattoo there, you want to chop off some toes, doesn't matter. No. Your parents care about all of you. <laughs> they care about all of your body, all of your relationships, um, and it's the same with God. Just like your parents, God gives us freedom. But he cares deeply about every aspect of our lives. Are there any areas of your life that you like to think of as your own? Are there any areas that you don't like other people telling you what to do in? Any areas that you don't like people to know about? We don't get any of those areas with God. He made all of us. He cares about all of us cares about every area of our lives. Kind of like George said, if it's a bit scary to know that God knows every single part of our lives, he knows our hearts perfectly, that makes sense that it's a bit scary. It's actually a good fear. It's a fear that tells us we need forgiveness and help. And we'll see that that help comes in Christ alone. So being made in God's image means being made to have fellowship with God. But it also means to have responsibility in God's world. It means we're made to rule over the rest of creation. God rules the world, but he's chosen to do so through us. He's chosen to do so through people. We act as God's ambassadors, kind of as, as government officials who represent their leader. To be made in the image of God is to represent God and his good authority in every interaction with the rest of creation. That means we get privileges. We get to use the rest of creation. We get to use everything that God's given us. And what God's given us is truly ours. So we as the human race get to use the world. We get to build houses. We get to enjoy good food. That's our right to do so. But it also means we have responsibility. What we have is ultimately God's. And we'll have to answer for everything we do. Were we faithful with what God's given us? Did we accurately represent God's image and God's glory? Did our lives, as little image bearers, rightly show that God is holy and just and loving? Or did we lie to the world about God by sinning? As image bearers, every time we lie, we tell the world that God is a liar. As image bearers, every time we hurt someone else, we tell the world that God is an abuser. God isn't those things. And he won't tolerate when we tell the world he is by our actions. So as God's given us the task of ruling, he's given a task to rule by working. 
Just like God worked for six days in creation, now we work. Look at verse 28. Look down at your Bibles at verse 28. God commands mankind to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. That means have... What, what, that, what that's getting at is uh, have a lot of babies. Have a family and create the society necessary for families to live and grow and thrive. So that leads us to the third thing that it means to be made in the image of God. It means to be made male and female. Man and woman. Look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. and the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This verse is repetitive and clear. God made mankind in his image, and gender is an important part of that. This shows us that gender, the fact that some of us are boys, some of us are girls, is God's design. Gender isn't something that people, that society made up. It's baked into God's design, and it's good. Each of us is either a man or a woman, and we always will be for all eternity. Nothing can change that. This verse also shows that both men and women are made in the image of God. Men aren't made in the image of God, and woman is made in some other image or in the image of man. Men and women are created in the image of God. The genders are equal. They each carry the glorious privilege of bearing the image of God, of being his representative rulers on the earth and being able to enjoy fellowship with God. But the creation of man and woman separately in chapter 2 tells us about their different roles. Men and women are equal, but men and women have different roles in helping fill the earth and subdue it. And they have different designs that help them to fill those roles. Look at chapter 2, when God creates man, in verse 5. Look at verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant in the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. God makes man first, and he makes him to work the land. Then he places, he picks him up and places him in the garden and gives him a job. God put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. This is a job of working and defending. And God made Adam, man's body, strong in order to work and defend what he gave him. Men have stronger bodies than women. And men are to use their strength to faithfully work and defend what's been given to them. Men are called by God to bear the responsibility of serving and leading their families and their churches. To be a a man, at least in part, means to be strong in many areas. Not only physically, but spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16 to be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. 
women can be strong too. Men might be physically weak, but there's something about being strong that goes along with being a man. But it was not good that man was alone. He couldn't fill the earth without help. So God created Eve, the first woman from the rib of man. Let's look at that in chapter 2. In verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that God had, that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He shall, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. God made woman to be man's helper. He made her out of his side. She's his equal, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. There's a wonderful quote by Matthew Henry. He says this about this creation. Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. Eve was in the garden to help Adam by bearing children. She was made with the ability, the amazing ability, to nurture and grow life within her. To be a woman, in part, means to nurture. Women's bodies are built for this. Women nurture physically by having, feeding, and raising children. Men can be kind and gentle and nurture too. Men are, in fact, called to be kind and gentle. Just like women can be strong, but there's something uniquely feminine about nurturing. Men and women were made in God's image. Men and women are equal. But men and women are different. There are real differences, real differences that complement one another. We all need men and women, moms and dads, brothers and sisters, in our lives, in our families, and in the church. It's God's good design that things are this way. So what does that mean for you? We're talking a lot about manhood and womanhood, about families, about children, things that might seem very far off in the distance for you. But remember the story about the hunter we talked about at the very beginning. We need to be thinking about these things now, near the start of our journeys, so that we're not confused years from now. So how can you and I live in light of God's creation of man and woman? Here are three practical ways we can live in light of God's creation of man and woman. First, boys, learn from older men how to be men. And girls, learn from older women how to be women. That's the pattern that Paul teaches, and it makes sense. You can learn a lot from both of your parents, 
but you need a lot to know a lot of specifics regarding just your gender. I guarantee that if you ask an older, godlier man or woman in this church to spend time together, they'd be happy to do so. They would delight to do so. So that's the first thing. Boys learn from men how to be men. Girls learn from women how to be women. Two, be grateful for how God has made you. Be grateful for how God has made you. First, that just means thanking God for the body he's given you. And that also means caring for it well. If you say you're grateful for a Christmas present, but then you leave it outside, let it get dirty, let it get chewed on by the dog, probably shows that you don't really care for that Christmas present very well. You're not very grateful for it. Show your gratitude for the body God's given you by trying to be healthy, eating right, working out, by being hygienic and clean, and by acting and looking appropriately. That means boys should dress like boys and girls should dress like girls. More importantly, we should act in ways that align with true manhood and true womanhood. So for example, uh, the Bible tells us that women should adorn themselves with good works and prize gentleness. As we already said, men should be strong and they should also find ways to encourage other men. So we want to act appropriately to how God has made us. The third thing, the third practical thing, if you are thinking about dating, have marriage in mind. That's the end of God's design for romantic relationships between man and woman. So if you don't have the end in mind of marriage, don't have the beginning in mind. If marriage isn't the goal, then dating isn't an option. Look at the very end of chapter 2. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God designed marriage. Just like gender, marriage is not a social construct. It's instituted and created by God. God made it a lifelong union between one man and one woman. And it's an important picture. It pictures Christ and his relationship with the church. Paul says that in Ephesians 5. God made marriage and men and women to be a picture of Jesus and his bride, the church. So we should take marriage and dating as seriously as God takes his church. The Bible is one story about God's glory by redeeming a people in Christ. Here at the beginning of the story, we see the first man, Adam, made in the image of God. But the whole story is actually about the second man, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who was the true image of God. Next week, Lord willing, we'll see where Adam falls short and plunges the human race into sin. As image bearers, as descendants of Adam, we all sin and misrepresent God's image to the world. But unlike sinful people, God's Son reflects the perfect image of the Father, perfectly reflecting His holiness, righteousness, and love. And for all those who have repented and trusted in Christ, the Bible tells us that we're being conformed to the image of Christ. The true man, 
who has perfect fellowship with God, who perfectly represented him and glorified him in all his works, who loves his bride, the church, with a perfect love, a love that drove him to the cross to die for her, to redeem fallen image bearers so that our fellowship with God might be restored. So let's reset our compasses. What has God called you, called us to do? Who has God made us to be? Are we merely animals? Do we get to decide for ourselves what our genders are? Or are we image bearers? Has God given us certain characteristics and roles? Who is it that can teach us and save us from our crooked compasses? Only the true man, Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the privilege of being made in your image, in your likeness. Lord, we thank you for the bodies you've given us, for the life that you've breathed into us. Lord, help us to see life as image bearers, as precious. Help us to cherish it. Help us to take it seriously. Help us to take our sins seriously. And help us to look to Christ, to know what it is to truly be man, to truly be woman, and to be redeemed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's uh, split into men and women and uh, go into small groups and then we'll come back at 8.20 to sing.